This is the Unrationed Podcast. My name is Evan Chastine. I'm Tony Albrecht. I'm Josh Aranda. And we begin this podcast uh, each time with sharing our wild moment from the week. A wild moment is what, Josh? Uh, Just something from the week that... Um, helps us remember our path. I was not prepared to share this. <laughs> you put me on the spot. I know. But, well, I was uh, going to yeah, explain just... it, and I felt on the spot myself. I was like, we, we probably should have some language around what a wild moment is. Uh, I feel like we we tease all these things out. Uh, but yeah, just something from the week that stands out that helps us remember our path that we're on, choosing to go past thresholds and return home. Um, so yeah, just anything from the week that stands out that hopefully is um, somewhat in nature or in the wilderness, um, but not physically always. or metaphorically. I think you, is worth noting. Anytime we say wild, there's there's like this metaphorical wilderness we're referring to that a lot of the time is actually uh, representative of a wilderness too. Yeah. All right, Tony. Are, what was your? Those are wild moments for sure. What Tony? What was your wild moment from the week? Well, after listening to you gentlemen so elegantly bumble your way through that thank you yeah. um i've had a really hard time coming up with one <laughs> for this week um which i i'm i'm not proud of but um we did get out swimming last weekend uh we got out for a beach day and just so the three-year-old Wilder has been taking some swimming lessons this summer and he's gotten over the hump where he's really comfortable in the water and he's gone from you know wanting to hold on to somebody to wanting to be close to somebody to now just running in the water wanting to be there for four hours without coming out and if you don't watch it he just turns out toward the lake and just starts going okay. uh yeah it's so much fun to, to watch just uh but it's it is one of those uh things that's all right there, there are a lot of things that are metaphorical in there about you know learning new skills and then as a child you know, being having those anxieties or fears around water around you know, what you can't see out there or not knowing what what you're doing in there and then to get that level of comfort and and through that curiosity and through that intention and that practice then having that whole new avenue for exploration open up in a way that you go, oh, ooh, I want to go over there. Um, it's really fun to watch. Josh, how about you? Yeah, so my sister and her family were in town this past weekend and my parents were in town. Um, so we all went out to the Great Sand Dunes National Park um, in Colorado, which was really, really special. Like, So we all went to this BLM Bureau of Land Management land and we were able to do dispersed camping which it was like my sister's family's first time and I think my parents first time doing dispersed camping so we're just like in this awesome field right at the base of Blanca which is a 14,000 foot peak um, in uh, in Colorado 
and just like super awesome sunsets. Um, you know, my kids were playing in the dirt the whole weekend, which was awesome. But I feel like the thing that was like really the wild moment. <clears throat> so my brother-in-law was up early on, I guess, Sunday and he was like getting the campfire started and he said he saw something like out in this like big pasture like behind this like barbed wire fence just kind of like walking to him like way far out in the distance he's like what is that he's like is that a an animal like there was a bunch of cows out there earlier but it was weird he didn't he only saw like one moving thing so he grabbed these binoculars and he looked out he's like holy crap this is a human um and so this this person's just like walking towards him like real slowly and uh, just kind of like hobbling around and he gets to the barbed wire fence and like climbs through. And my brother-in-law is like, Hey, you know, everything. All right. Like what's going on. And this guy, he goes, <laughs> he's like, I'm a missing person. And he just started crying and he was climbing. There's these three 14,000 foot peaks right there that you can link up. And he was on the last 14,000 foot peak called Little Bear and just got caught into these gnarly, this gnarly weather. And anyways, he was, he had left at like 1.15 AM the day before he hadn't slept the night before, got caught in this bad weather system. And he said he was like wading through the forest, trying to find his way. He had to bail on a, not necessarily a defined route on little bear and anyways he said he saw like eyes in the in like in the trees and everything and i don't know if he heard other noises but he slept in a tree the whole night and then bailed and he had just had no idea where he was at his phone died his last text message was i'm lost call 911 to a friend and then his phone died and so anyways, this dude was supposed to be done at like 6 p.m. the night before. And here it is at six o'clock in the morning. Um, anyways, it was like, <clears throat> it was cool because he like sat at the campfire with us. You know, we got him coffee, he had breakfast with us. Um, but you could tell this dude just needed human interaction. And it was a really scary moment for him. And yeah, so that wild moment was just one, a reminder of you never know what night people had <laughs> so be kind uh, but then the other thing too is just like when you're out in the wilderness like you got to be prepared for a lot of things and I think that's true with life too so I've been thinking about uh, my interaction with uh, Kendrick quite a bit um, the last few days so yeah he's a very kind human being and I'm very glad to have met him and it sounded like it was his family was not happy with him the next morning, uh, but they were very grateful to hear from him. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll be thinking about that throughout the day today. There's a lot. There are a lot of metaphors there, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not kidding, man. You're um, not kidding. So typically when I think of wild moment, I think of, for whatever reason, I I like look back at my week and I think of like ask myself what was my most primal way of being, and that tends to be a, a a wild moment. So last night, my wife and I went out on a date, and before we left, we put the chickens in the run. Typically, they're free ranging, and three of them were kind of they had like hopped the fence and were running through the woods 
on on the property that's our our neighbor's property we're like oh we'll just get them whenever we get back tonight uh they get very scared when the sun goes down and like just want to be perched up safe uh, not moving around so we get back and we're like all right i'm gonna go get the chicken so i go out there to get the chickens and two of them are up on the fence and one's down below and they did not want to get down to go in the coop they were like very stubborn so i like have a i don't like birds this i don't know if i've told this okay yeah so i don't like birds so i didn't want to pick up the chicken with my hands which i'm getting there i'm I'm working on it but i've got a stick so i'm like pushing it off and my my dog comes up and freaking jumps up and grabs the chicken and pulls it down to the ground and starts dragging it and the chicken is okay i should say that uh but then the chicken ran off in the woods and my wife and i spent 20 minutes looking for it and finding it and then getting it in the coop last night and it felt very wild uh, because it was dark we had a headlamp and a flashlight and that chicken just settled down somewhere and did not want to be found and we found it <laughs> that's quite traumatic for the chicken yes i i think it was a traumatic experience for the chicken we're probably not getting an egg from that chicken today <laughs> settle back into a rhythm <laughs> Wait, did you, when did your dog let the chicken go or like right like the... pretty quick i was there yelling at the dog and she listens pretty good but uh still got a hold of it and pulled it yeah. down and there are feathers in the yard yeah I'm, I'm glad everyone's okay yes yeah chickens are good dog's good it was a wild time i'm not sure if there's any metaphors in there <laughs> uh, but anyways that was a wild moment so uh let's move on tony what's our topic today uh, for the podcast our topic today is going to be around man children uh, and that's like man hyphen children um how would you define that well that's certainly part of part of our fun but i, I would define it as uh, a a full grown adult who's operating with the uh, mental and emotional capacity of a child. How about that? That's, I'll, I need to sharpen that language, but that's basically it. And yeah. is that we've been, well, Evan, you're working through King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, right? I no? am. Okay. Um, so we've started through this book and this one is, I was telling Evan, is blowing my mind. I'm, I'm loving this one. It's resonating so much with me. Um, and it does speak directly to what we're doing here with Wilds in the Woods, where you know, our, uh, our, our goal here is really for ourselves to become better, fuller, let's say, quote unquote, wilder versions of ourselves. Uh, so that we can be better husbands, better fathers, better teammates. Um, and the, the shared 
language that we're using is is this sense that there's something missing in our societal context, um, something in terms of a rite of passage or an, an initiation from being a boy to being a man, you know, some, some failure in our uh, collective unconscious about how we uh, help our young people. And this goes for male, female, across the spectrum, um, how they grow and, and actually make it to adulthood. And so we're, we're all now adults, you know, we're men in our thirties with families. And so now it's not just a matter of trying to figure out how we're, uh, maturing or in, in the, the book's terms, practicing, embodying mature masculinity, uh, we're also now thinking about how we help our children uh, grow as, you know, uh, from, from where they're at now, where all our kids are little, uh, to hopefully being adults. And I know for me, there's this challenge of, uh, so I've got a son who's about to turn four i've got a daughter who's 18 months old uh how do i help them avoid a lot of the pitfalls i ran into where the way i see it my 20s were spent as being an emotional man child uh and and i do and to whatever degree i've achieved mature masculinity and I, i'm not sure i have achieved it but i'm much closer than i was 12 years ago um, is what we're doing here is the process from the one to the other. How do you, how, how do you go from that, you know, kind of what they call in that book, boy psychology, um, to a man psychology. And so that's kind of the overarching framework for, uh, for how we're thinking about a lot of this stuff. And I, I was thinking we could focus today on that man-child aspect of it, kind of that starting point. And it, for me, I, I write about this in public uh, regularly. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with my story. Uh, but I'm, I was, as I was thinking about this episode, I was wondering whether that language and that boy psychology idea uh, resonates with you or with you both uh, as much as it does with me or is it something is it something that you also see in yourselves that there was a point where you you were growing up or have grown more or less but still felt like a man. Cause I'm not sure that, that you both have that same uh, kind of sense that I have. I mean, I can speak for myself. I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely resonates. I think my man child experiences were, you know, high school and college. I feel like I started to like tighten things up actually I have one story that sticks out in my mind that 
I feel like was a big conversion point that I like woke up and I was like, wow, that's, that's not a good thing. What, I guess what's I, that story? That sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those stories that I don't think I've shared with anybody really. Um, but Hey, let's, let's, let's do it. Well, this is, makes you, me really uncomfortable. <laughs> if you don't want to share it with just the two of us, then you don't have to. But if you want to share it with just the two of us, now's a good time to just share it with only the two of us. And our massive unrationed podcast following. Are, are we recording this? Yes. <laughs> oh, I see. No, no, it's good. I think it's a really good thing. <clears throat> so you know, college was certainly like a blast, wild times. It was, um, yeah, it was fun. I made some bad decisions. So backstory, when I was 16, I got a DUI like six months after I started driving, which is crazy to think about. Um, but anyways, like, so I was pretty good with not drinking and driving. Well, I was like 24 or something. So I'm like married, um, you know, I'm working, all that good stuff. Anyways, I went to a wedding on New Year's Eve night. And my wife, I think at the time was working nights. So she did not come to the wedding. And I just got after it, you know, I got lit and, you know, was dancing and having a great time. Well, I didn't think beforehand, and I had drove to the wedding. And I didn't want to leave my car downtown and I drove home and New Year's night, worst, probably time to drive. And I stopped on the highway under an overpass <clears throat> and I slept there. For, I was tired, you know, tired and drunk. And I slept there for like 30 minutes and I woke up. And I, you know, made it two more under, you know, two more passes down the highway. This is really uncomfortable telling the story. <laughs> um, you know, I made it to another pass and I slept there again. And then I got to my garage. I finally made it home. And I woke up at like five in the morning in my car. Unfortunately, it was off. And I, you know, I was just like, what did I just do? You know? So anyways, I had, my buddy had texted me like the next day and he was checking in on me like, hey, how'd you get home last night? And I told him and basically he's like, what the F is wrong with you, dude? And I don't know. I don't I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why I did it. Um, but after that, you know, I shouldn't be like proud, like, oh, I haven't drink, you know, drank and drove since then. But I am proud of that because that was a really, like, really bad moment. <laughs> um, and so I think that was kind of like a turning point for me. Like, dude, you need to grow up. Like, you know what? Have a few drinks here and there and all that good stuff. But that's unacceptable. And I think that's the word that sticks out of my mind and that, like, it is unacceptable. And um, once I got to terms with that, I was able to make a lot better decisions, but like, I think about doing that now and it just like, it's repulsive, you know, it truly is repulsive. Um, 
So that'll be a fun one for my wife to listen to. I don't even know if I've shared that with her. I should probably shared that with her before she listens to this. But uh, uh, I've, that's a big moment of shame, actually, in my life. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for for putting that out there. Um, yeah, you've never told me that story. I, I don't is, think I've told anybody <laughs> besides uh, my buddy who checked in on me. Um, so yeah. Interesting. It obviously my own my own story involves a number of of incidents or incidents where I misbehave uh, with booze, some of which involve then operating a motor vehicle. Um, it was it was a huge piece of of my coming to understand my own man childness. Um, you know, like I. I I talk rather openly about the Guamanian jail cell and, and coming to on Thanksgiving night having, and I don't usually tell the full story, which was like, I, I basically like, I was on the island of Guam, didn't really know anybody. My parents were visiting actually for Thanksgiving. That's a detail. I usually don't put out there. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't put that detail out. And I, I usually don't, tell like what I was doing, which was I had actually gotten drunk in my apartment and then I wanted a hamburger. So I actually got drunk and then I left to, to go out and find fast food, but it was Thanksgiving. So places were closed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, so then I'm like driving around the Island trying to find uh, a place before I then go back home, get pulled over essentially in the parking lot of my apartment. Uh, And then on the sobriety test, I end up flat on my back looking up into the sky, uh, which is a fail that you just for future reference, if you are not able to stay on your feet during a sobriety test, (laughs) you will fail the sobriety test. I did learn that one the hard way, so to speak, but for me, I, I refer to that as my rock bottom, where from that point, that was when I stopped digging, right? I, but I was in a pretty good hole. So at that point, I was 27 years old. Uh, so I had, and, and Josh, like, like you, like my college years were uh, work hard, play hard. And then they just like progressively got, I, w- I was playing harder as I went along. Um, and like through law school, I, it was like, by the time we finished law school, I noticed that the, the people who were up for partying first year in the way that I did, most of them had moved on by the time we were finishing. And they say that your, our brain development doesn't quite complete until our mid twenties, right? That it like, there comes a point where something clicks and then you are in a different state. And it was like, by the time I was 27, it's like, I feel like everybody else has grown up and I still haven't. So like that, and that wake up call in that jail cell, uh, it, it led to everything that came after. But the starting point was, I got her at my head around the booze and how to change my relationship to alcohol. 
But that sent me down the rabbit hole of once I got into AA and started doing that deal. Uh, there's a line about how the alcohol is just a symptom of a deeper malady. And for me, then that led to needing to basically tear down my whole personality and start over um, because I had a man child's personality. It was all just bravado and insecurity. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I say all that to come back around to a question for you where I don't get the sense with you that, that you had the same sort of experience where kind of that night at 24 and that's, that's bad. You should definitely take a cab and that, that could be a PSA. Look, just spend the 15 bucks on the cab. It'll be fine. Um, it seems like that was a wake up call for you that changed your behavior in that respect. Did you have uh, more far reaching ramifications from that? Like it was, was it an isolated behavior where you were like, Whoa, dude, you just need to not do like this thing is unacceptable or was there more to it? And I, I, I have a sense of what the answer to that is, but I'm, interested yeah it's a great question i don't think it was super deep-seated um you know but i had to ask myself the question like how did i get there how did i put myself in a state that enabled me to make a decision that was so reckless and i think a lot of it is like you know you know i have historically easily like succumbed to peer pressure which in and of itself is like a weird thing to say, like, I, I feel comfortable with who I am. So why do I need to ramp it up when other people are ramping it up just so I can, you know, be a part of the group or something. So, you know, I think, you know, all in all, just like trying to analyze that stuff. But, um, you know, I think it was more of just like, how did I allow the buildup? How can I be so reckless? What does that communicate? What do my actions communicate to everybody else that's in my life? And I think that thought process was like the thing that that kind of like unlocked some items for me in that, you know. Mm. Yeah. So I don't I don't really have a better explanation other than that. But yeah, it was just, it was just a few things that I had to process. Um, but the moment in and of itself was you know awakening enough yeah well and so it's an immature thing to do right to yeah. because that that decision shows an inability to properly calibrate uh cost benefit right yeah. which, which is without like, a doubt yeah there's just in that moment and this goes for me in so many situations right where i want this i want to do this I don't even really think about the consequences. I just want to do what I want to do. And it seems like maturity is um, to, to a large degree coming to understand consequences and the how to properly do a cost benefit analysis. But Evan, what say you? What do you got? Um, uh trying to organize a few things that have 
come to mind in my head and then turn those organized thoughts into words here. So the first thought that comes to mind is this distinction or something I, I think worth noting or, or bringing up that boy psychology is not bad. It is good and necessary for all of us. And mm -hmm. so thinking through the lens of like, I've got to move from this bad place to a good place, I don't think is as helpful as as I developed in such a way where my psychology, the way that I view the world will be harmful to people around me at some point, unless something changes. And in both of the stories you shared, it was this, there was, there was an aspect of boy psychology happening, which is I either don't care or I'm unaware of the harm that my actions cause other people. And I think that's, yeah. that's like a, a keystone of boy psychology. Um, it, and it's not even like with intent, like there intent doesn't matter at that point. It's like you, you're harming people, whether you intend to or not with boy yeah. psychology yeah. and, and we need to be aware of that. So it's this, it's this movement from boy psychology to man psychology that I think we're talking about. And, and both of those do seem to be, both of those stories do seem to be movements uh they're not single moments where like your psychology completely changed but they were developments and there was a cycle of orientation disorientation and reorientation involved and so mm -hmm. i think in everything we do i try to find these patterns in everything we talk about i try to find that pattern specifically is like where is the orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And I think uh, one of the ways we can go from, we, we can enter into this movement intentionally is to become aware of our cycles uh, and get some reps in of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And that reorientation piece I think is, is key here. It's the coming back home. It's the not staying in the disorientation and, I think boy psychology is the mindset of I I'm going to hold disorientation just at arm's length and never actually enter into it, which is impossible. But it's the belief that I don't I, I actually have the power to keep myself from ever entering into disorientation, which is a lie we tell ourselves with boy psychology. I think it's worth noting that we all still do this. Like the th we're not at some place where we just never do these things anymore this is very much a part of my life and my development and my movement from boy psychology to, to man psychology so we get these reps in we become aware of disorientation men man psychology is choosing to enter into disorientation boy psychology is avoiding disorientation or, or attempting to avoiding disorientation by lying to ourselves and telling telling ourselves we have the power to not do so um, and then the the reorientation. I think a, a lot of us in our stories, if if we're thinking through like an archetype of a a man child, would actually be somebody who's stuck in a disorientation loop and never able to reorient. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just a disorientation after disorientation after disorientation. And there's chaos. That that person is chaos. Uh, everything that they are doing, uh, they are... Uh, I Tony, on the podcast, whenever I say things that make you think, I immediately doubt myself. <laughs> and I need to just tell myself that you're just thinking about what I'm saying. You're not disagreeing with me. But you have this space that whenever you're thinking, it's like, oh, crap, I said something. <laughs> but Tony I, no, has a rebuttal. <laughs> no, that is really good. In, in that where where my mind went with that was, oh, that's well, I guess maybe the, the point was you say you're, you get stuck in a loop as that was very much the case for me where I was an agent of chaos in my twenties. Uh, and what you said about wanting to stay in the state of orientation and not get disoriented in the first place was very true. What that led to was disorientation happening through chaotic means, but then there was no reorientation it it so it, it wasn't like the full loop that we talk about here right it was like returning trying to turn around and go back where i came from just like grasping back because i yeah. didn't mean to get disoriented right i only got That's disoriented right. because i'm an idiot right i didn't yeah. i didn't mean to i want i want to stay oriented and in control and on the safe and narrow track that was laid out for me the whole time, right? right. So that that's where my mind was going. That's really good stuff. Yeah. And reorientation Thanks. doesn't mean going back to the way you were oriented before. A reorientation is a new way of being. Uh, that's a that's a great image uh, picture. Mm. <laughs> image picture. Josh, what yeah. are you gonna say? I think the other thing that you said that stands out was that like you don't just get to a new state of reorientation like there's still that lingering effects of still you know that that man child behavior if you will where another another story that um so i had my this one is not nearly as bad thank goodness <laughs> this, is, this is this is the time josh killed a guy <laughs> So I had my I had my leadership team uh with for work out in Colorado. And I thought it'd be cool to rent some like uh, ATVs and just like putz around for a bit. <laughs> so anyways, I heard this one. I know. This is why I feel <laughs> more comfortable sharing this story. Um anyways, there's it's it's known. It's in the uh, it's in the universe already. So anyways, um me and my two leaders, we were putzing around and you know, it's a side by side. It's a four seater, so two people in the front, two people in the back. But so I rode in the back a lot, and it was it was a blast, like seeing both of them drive. And you know, we were doing some, you know, going fast. Well, anyways, I got to drive like three different times over a four hour time period. And you know, the first time I kind of took it easy, and the second time I kind of cranked it up. I was like, this is really fun, and I was cracking up when I'd like do things, you know. And they were like, my goodness, like slow down, like you're kind of nutty. And anyways literally the last 10 minutes we have this thing rented you know they're like don't flip us and like joking around like in in jest and everything so you know i'm going fast up and down and then we're literally like the last turn i'm going two miles an hour last turn that we're getting ready to pull the you know four by or the atv into the uh um the trailer 
I thought it'd be funny to like fishtail or something. And so I like, I gun it. <laughs> and it just so happens that like, there's like a rivet, deeper sand, like the situation was perfect. And here it is, just like, boom. And of course I tip it on the side that both of them are sitting. So two dudes that I like, love, I admire, I feel responsible for, you know, it just like falls and we're all sitting like on our side, like <laughs> laying on top of each other. And I'm just like, oh man, I was so, I was so mad at myself. I thought about it like the next, you know, how I, I still think about it. I still, um, but I'm like, that's, that's man child crap. You know what I mean? Like I was the one driving, I was responsible I had the foreshadowing. I had the warning. I ignored the warning and I did something reckless. Even though we were going like two mile an hour, I had plenty of other behavior before that, that, you know, was more reckless, but nonetheless, it, it ended itself in a situation where two people are in danger. So I like thought about their kids and their wives, you know, just like, oh my gosh, you're an idiot. So, you know, that happened six months ago or three months ago. Um, you know, so it is this constant challenging of, okay, where are still those behaviors that, you know, are lingering in my, you know, day-to-day living that I still need to squash or, um, you know, temper, um, uh, because they're, they're gonna, they're gonna be there, you know, as just, how do we deal with them in those different moments? But, um, anyways, I would be so curious to ask a behavioral psychologist, if there are other ways to think through or to identify the distinctions between boy psychology and man psychology, whatever the, and those words, boy psychology, man psychology are from King warrior, magician lover. We're, we're, we're stealing that those terms from, from that book, but I'm, I'm curious if there are ways, because everything we're talking about is very behavior oriented at this point. And my, my, guess would be there are other ways to identify in ourselves i i also think that's key this is only helpful uh maybe not only this is most helpful if the distinctions and thoughts here are applied to your own development not the development of others like the now i think we're thinking through both because we're thinking about how our stories impact other stories uh but i i've got more thoughts there but i'm not ready fully to articulate so i'll shift back to asking a behavioral psychologist if there are other distinctions can you or is behavior like what we pay attention to in ourselves as we go through this is there anything about that in 12 steps tony well the I, that this goes back to the question I was asking Josh about that one incident, which <clears throat> because for me, what the behaviors then indicated was a disorder between my ears. I mean, there's a mental disorder and, and frankly, spiritual disorder, like a, a fundamental misunderstanding of my orientation to the universe. And so I, I'm not sure how to articulate it, but I, I think there's certainly something around our beliefs mm. um, that then inform our behaviors, right? That 
I don't behave in that way that I, I describe in that story unless I believe that I'm more important than other people. It, I believe that I should get what I want when I want it. Um, is that an answer to the question? Am I am I on the track you were? Yeah, you were looking at. I think so. the The idea that beliefs impact our behavior, I think, is uh, yeah. well, it can be profound. That statement of it, I I like how simple and obvious it is, but at the same time, there's a, there is a depth to be explored with that statement. Um, that what we believe is important and we would benefit from taking our beliefs seriously and and questioning them and aligning them with the reality which would be how our beliefs show up uh, in our actions there's this dance between Uh, action and and thinking uh, you didn't. You haven't not answered my initial question, have you? Uh, what was your initial question? My one from a half hour ago about whether you yourself had this experience of feeling like a man child. Yeah. I, so my disorientation came after my like was my mom dying, and it was my my belief system that I had leading up to that point no longer worked for me so it was very disorienting and i didn't choose to enter that disorientation so it was uh a done to me and it also wasn't my actions that caused the disorientation so i i do think there are like in the two stories that you shared your actions were causing some sort of disorientation it's like the the cause and effect was very obvious that it was your uh, doing uh, your sole responsibility. I I believe there are ways that we move from boy psychology. There are uh, catalysts that spur that on, which is why we're doing this podcast and unrationed events in, in the first place is to give people an opportunity to choose to enter disorientation, to have a moment like being in a Guamanian jail sale and driving home beyond uh your limits to drive home like those are times when you enter disorientation i think there are ways to choose that in in healthy ways outside of it just being done to you so anyways all that to say there was a i've i've entered into this man child phase i i mean it was both physically and emotionally and spiritually after my mom died i was i was i was 21 so i was literally just becoming a man and i didn't want to leave my boy psychology behind like i was clinging to i was turning back to the way that i was oriented before my mom died, the the beliefs that I had before my mom died that just no longer could work for me anymore. They weren't serving me. They weren't true in the sense that uh, a reality did not align with them. And that did, I don't have like a moment where everything hit the fan, uh, but I, <laughs> one, uh, I smoked cigarettes for a little while on the back porch of my apartment right after my mom died. 
and I mean, smoking cigarettes is a not smart thing to do. But I really actually think about that time with fondness, not that I was killing myself, but it it forced me to sit and do nothing other than smoke a cigarette for 15, 30 minutes at a time. It was very meditative, uh, breathing in, breathing out, but also stupid. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, substances were also involved in this, like, what would it be, a four-year period where it's just like I didn't have any beliefs to guide my actions at, at all like I, I kind of had let go of any beliefs uh and honestly meeting grace and having a reason to form beliefs and a reason to become a man again was my reorientation process uh so that I don't mm. know if that answers your question no it right. does and you've you've talked about the experience with your mom dying and to me that that seems like a simultaneously a, a natural thing right I, I, people die we die uh and traumatic for it to happen at yeah. a, a young age like that. Um, but there's also something about it that is jarring now for that to happen in, in the 21st century. Whereas historically, people's parents were dying at young ages. Hmm regularly i mean that was just a part of life was that you very well may lose one or both your parents before you make it to adulthood and i have thought about that as you know, almost a, is it a forcing function for growing up that that part of how i was able to remain so juvenile in this state of prolonged adolescence as long as I was, how much of that was related to a detachment from death? Yeah. Uh, in, in, in that I can kind of name for you the specific experiences I had with death before the age of like 27. And, and there's only like four or five of them. And I can, I can, rattle them off for you because they did make an impression on me but the impression they made on me was primarily mm, how rare those those experiences were and so i i wonder whether whether that leads to um, an, a misunderstanding of the natural cycles of life um in one where where I'm at today, I, I am grateful for every day. Is it by now? I have, I think, internalized this idea that nothing is guaranteed. Right? It it really is not. And mm -hmm. it so you you waste your days at your own peril. Is there there is no there's there's no sure thing that you're going to get tomorrow or or the forty years from now that I I hope I get. Mm -hmm. um so i 
I, that it does seem like a true, if that was a true initiatory experience for you, right? In a way that, that like you said, you weren't, you didn't choose it. You didn't want to do that. But you know, in your frame, it, I mean, what's more disorienting than that, right? Than losing a parent at a, at a young age. Uh, and then figuring out how to reorient to the new reality, which you're saying, you know, may take years and involve a lot of lessons. Um, but I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, go ahead. There's the the whole death piece, I think, is really. It'll come up in a lot of our podcasts, I think, throughout the, the time that we do this. Yeah. It'll likely be talked about at an unrationed weekend. I I do think there's it's it's important to explore that. And I I've read a lot of people stories just online of people who have had near death experiences. They tend to view that as an initiatory experience. They they are different after that experience. Uh, based on my reading of like uh, psychedelic studies, people using MDMA or psilocybin to like heal their traumas, PTSD or um, just end of life. Uh, there, there are these therapies being used now and it, it tends to revolve around this acceptance of death. Uh, like people mm -hmm. go on a journey and encounter something that they're they've been afraid of or they are afraid of and then either engage with that thing that they're afraid of or fight the thing that they're afraid of and and based on that it it's a it leads to a good experience bad experience and there is this this acceptance uh of what is or, or a new way of being that comes on the other side of those uh so yeah, I, I think mm. death will come up. Our, our own death and the death of those that we love and we care for, they're, they're inevitable, uh, those things. And boy psychology would hold thinking about that at a distance. And I think men, man psychology thinks about it, engages with it. Yeah. It's worth, it seems worth noting in all of this that if, this causes any uh it thinking about or, or remembering these stories josh even you you know you remembered that story and you're like oh my gosh this brings up so much shame mm -hmm. there is a point where it's like good to go get help with this if you're listening to this yeah. and you're like but stuff stories are coming to mind that are are causing uh yeah. an unsettled feeling like counseling i've i've gone through a lot of counseling particularly in that four years of disorientation i uh sought counsel very often and i think that was really helpful in becoming reoriented in a way that was healthy and and so at, at 12 steps tony for you and that and i just think it's important to note that we don't do this on our own yeah for sure yeah there's I remember this guy that I played soccer with in high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman and he got into a car accident and ended up passing away. 
And I remember at that point thinking, my gosh, life is short, but it led to recklessness in a boy psychology. Whereas now my mother-in-law's best friend, who's been super gracious and generous to me and my wife and like opened their doors multiple times to us. She's got stage four pancreatic cancer and her daughter's wedding's coming up next month. And so now I'm thinking the same thing. Life is short, but instead of let's be reckless, it's my gosh, I need to soak every ounce out of every single moment and cherish everything. Right. So, and, and that is a, a healthy indicator for me in that, like, I can look at my children. I can look at the sunset. I can look at the mountains and want to suck every life of joy or ounce of joy out of it. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm yeah. <laughs> hold on. Right on cue. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that, that's probably a pretty good place to dismount, right? We've been we've been rolling for a while. Yeah, this is a great episode. Thanks, Tony, for kick us, kicking us off on a yeah, man, man psychology. Topic. There's a blog post up. Uh, Tony's story is on there that he shared with us today, and and just this, these thoughts of man psychology a link to king warrior magician lover um on wildsinthewoods.com it's wilds and the woods.com sometimes it sounds like i'm saying in the woods what were you gonna say tony yeah uh can we put it in the show notes is oh, it time yeah. for us to start using show notes let's do it yeah so there's, there's a blog linked uh in the show notes and a link to king warrior magician lover in the show notes we probably need to get an affiliate link at some time and have that disclaimer too, but it is we're, not an affiliate link. We will not benefit. <laughs> we are, we're going to want that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we're doing this thing called wild 32 right now. You can learn more about that on the website as well. And then if you want to subscribe to this thing, uh, we wouldn't hate it, but it seems selfish to ask that when we haven't, when we, I'm like, Really, I would like to wait until we have 25 episodes and people know that we're going to be doing this for a while, but we're, we're going to be doing this for a while. Yeah, we are. And this, well, so this is going to be what, episode seven, eight. I mean, we're, we've got the cadence, we got the rhythms, we know what we're talking about in general. We have like another 25 conversations we could readily have about this. It's, it feels good having had a couple uh podcasts in the past that didn't make it beyond a half dozen episodes i've been really uh thrilled to be doing it with you gentlemen and having uh avery supporting us to to actually get into a rhythm where we are producing these consistently and and building up that body of work is that i i'm pretty sure we're going to be here a year from now doing this i agree i agree yeah all right Signing off. Choose disorientation. Yeah, buddy. <laughs>